I'm Sovan Drake. Welcome to the Weekend Write-In. Each week, a group of committed authors draft, share, and comment on flash fiction stories of 500 words or less based on a one-word prompt. The Weekend Write-In began in 2014 on an Amazon-hosted website called WriteOn and migrated to the online writing community of Wattpad in 2017, where it continues today. The Weekend Write-In is a warm and welcoming group open to all writers. This podcast is pleased to share just a few of the hundreds of Weekend Write-In stories as read by the authors themselves. In this episode, we will interview one of the original Weekend Write-In writers before we leave Earth behind, discover what it takes to revive a dying town, experience emotions stronger than rage, find out what happens if three animals win the lottery, and question what diseases lurk inside of us. So, without further ado, tell us what happens when. Today I am interviewing John Nedwell, one of the original Weekend Write-In writers. Hello, Sovan. Nice to meet you. Hello, John. Tell us where you're from and a little bit about your writing. Well, I'm originally from Ireland. I was born in Belfast, but I left there almost 30 years ago. Right now, I live in the East Midlands of England. I write short stories. The shorter, the better. I tend to run out of steam after about 10,000 words, so the short form actually suits me best. John, how long have you been writing? I've been writing seriously since the early 90s, I guess. I started off writing articles and reviews for various UK gaming magazines, as well as doing some work on filling in for gaming books. I don't suppose I started writing fiction properly until must have been 2010. It was about that point that I joined a local writing group for support and really started getting into it. How did you find the Weekend Write-In writing group? Back in 2014, there was a writing site called Write-On. I was invited to join by a friend. One of the community building exercises that the site admins had set up was the weekend write-in. There was a group of us who did it every week, and we actually became quite quite close. Um, when write-on closed down in 2017, I followed the other members of the group across to Wattpad, where I still do the write-in to this day. What has kept you coming back every week to write another flash fiction piece with the weekend write-in? A bit stubbornness. Actually, it's because I enjoy the challenge of writing to a prompt and showing what I've done. I also like to see what other writers make of Paul's prompts. It's amazing to see what some people come up with. Where do you get the inspiration for your stories? I guess I'm what some people would call a pantser. Over the years I've been doing the writing, I've developed this ability to free associate of a single word. Just take the prompt and run with it. I never really know where I'm going to end up, but it's a fun journey getting there. How can people read more of your work? Most of my stories are published under my Wattpad profile. I also have a short story published in Jason Greenfield's One Million Project Thriller Anthology, which is available on Amazon. My local writing group, The Derby Scribes, does an irregular online zine, and I'm a contributor to that as well. Thank you for talking with us today, John. Let's go ahead and hear your story. Surly bonds. Oh, I have slipped the surly bonds of earth. The words came to Marie Johnson's lips as her vessel turned slowly, sending long shadows across the cabin. The radio speaker crackled again. Say again, Ares, Mission Control asked. 
Johnson pulled her gaze away from the vista of the world below her. Nothing, Control. Just wool gathering up here. Enjoying the view, she corrected herself. She was sure that she had heard a truncated chuckle as Mission Control responded. Roger that, Ares. Now, can we get on with the checklist? Understood, Control. Beginning checklist. Maria forced herself to focus on the procedure, passing instructions back and forth between her crew and the engineers hundreds of miles below. She understood the need to restrict the chatter, the back and forth, keeping the conversation to the essentials, but it meant that she was just a conduit for others, repeating their words without adding anything of her own. Maria's mind started to wander again. The blue-white marble of the Earth was visible through the viewports in the bow of the spacecraft. There were no stars. The reflected Earthlight was too bright for them to be seen, but the stars were not needed for now. There would be enough time to see them later on during the months that their voyage would take. But Earth, as it dwindled behind them, Maria and the rest of the crew would only have memories of their home. Finally, the checklist procedure came to an end. Roger that, Ares. We can confirm that you are go for orbital insertion. You may begin insertion at your discretion. Understood, Control. Johnson looked back from her position and nodded at the commander. Control says we are good to go any time we want. All right, then. The mission commander sat back in his acceleration couch. We've kicked the tires. Let's light those fires. As the vessel's main thrusters came online, the superstructure began to shake. Maria put out a hand to steady herself and felt the cool plastic of the viewport beneath her touch. She looked away from her console, wondering whether she'd be able to see any difference in the sky yet. I put out my hand and touched the face of God. Hope by Paul Wesley Little Jimmy Warden, done with his paper route, was the first to spot it. It was sitting high atop the traffic light pole on Euclid and Main. Instead of rushing home to get ready for school, Jimmy cycled as fast as he could over to his best friend Robbie Jones, and together they sped back to the traffic light. By now, Ms Roberts and Mr Calder were also there at the light, staring up at the giant bird. If not for this highly unusual event, they would have passed each other by as they always had, and continued on with their dreary, everyday existence. Elkton, Minnesota, population 335. During the boom years of vibrant community, with its residents finding the time to stop for a chat and a smile. Now most of the businesses boarded up, unemployment rampant, and chronic depression being all that many of them had in common. Jimmy asked Miss Roberts what it was. She said it was some kind of an owl. She and Mr Calder had been discussing why it had chosen to perch itself there, conjecturing if perhaps it was lost or injured. Mr Baldwin, quite knowledgeable on such things, happened by and proclaimed quite definitively that it was a great grey owl, a superb example and probably almost two feet tall. The one thing they all agreed upon was that it was magnificent, sitting there completely still except for its feathers occasionally bristling in the wind. Before long a crowd had gathered, thirty or so people, all staring up at the majestic animal. Many had seen an owl before, but none had seen one this large, and none had ever seen one along a city street. Soon the whole town was abuzz with speculation about the mysterious bird. Someone called the police and Officer Reynolds showed up, as surprised as anyone. They discussed whether it needed help, if they should call out animal services from the big city, 90 miles away, or if they should just leave it be. The consensus seemed to be to wait and see what happened. The crowd grew steadily larger, now more a giant block party than a group of strangers, all chatting, laughing and joking together for the first time in a long time. 
Cups of coffee were brought over from the one remaining diner in town, with a few drinking beers instead, as obviously everyone was looked on somewhat helplessly. People came and people left, always with smiles on their faces, many with acquaintances renewed or new friendships made. All day the great hour remained silent and still. Finally, as nightfall approached, the diehards slowly drifted off until once again the town was deserted. The next morning the bird was gone. Nevertheless, things were different now. People smiled, they stopped to chat. Despair had given way to hope. Dr. Miller drove to the big city and thanked the taxidermist for the load of the great grey owl. He told him the experiment had far exceeded his expectations. Joyce Holt. High above the glaciers she soared, ice crystals spun on air so thin and cold it raked like talons down her throat, as frigid as the glare in her eyes, as chill as the frozen kernel of her heart. No creature dared challenge the queen of the skies. Golden eagles quailed at sight of her and spun away to seek hunting elsewhere. Rams among the flocks of alpine sheep for all their granite-hard horned skulls, fled like lambs at the shadow of her wings. Hunger clamored, fueled her rage, and drove her to range further afield. She caught glimpse of moving shapes in lands near the world's curve, beyond the glaciers, below the tree line. Tiny flecks, creeping, crawling, resolving in her keen eyesight to cattle. She called up a wind, Riding the tempest, beating wide, pinioned wings, she sped like a shooting star. Then, wings folded, she plummeted. The heifer died before it could bawl one note of fear. Other cattle scattered, tails high in alarm. The Sky Queen reared, ready to plunge her beak, rend and tear and feast. But no, not yet. Return, return, shrieked a voice within. She screamed triumph and rage, then sank talons into the heifer. Four talons, rear claws, she lashed her lion's tail and leaped again into the air. A whirlwind answered her call and bore her aloft with her burden still warm. She felt the heat of the beast, the witless lumbering thing that lived only to feed the hunters of the world. And feed she would, soon, very soon, but first, the urge still thrummed at her core. Return, return, to the airy then. On the southern flank of a peak higher than the rest, one sheer cliff face stood bare in the wintry light. She dismissed the torrent of wind and swooped with her burden to a gaping crevice. She landed with a thud and a crack of carcass bones. She struck and gorged one bite then caught a whiff, an odor that did not belong. She dropped the heifer, tucked wings, and stalked into the rear of the cave, her neck plumage ruffling in rage. What horrible creature dared disturb her nest? The shell, it lay broken in two. Woe surged, then fury, then a dizzying swell of confusion. 
as she leaped to straddle the nest. Her wings spread wide all of their own accord, shading, sheltering the tiny intruder that now wobbled among the shell shards. The smell of it changed. Or perhaps the change came in the way the scent burrowed through nostrils, lungs, and heart, twanging, turning, twisting, tugging her core. This feeble little thing, beaked mouth gaping up at her, triggered such a sudden surge of warmth she had never felt since the day she first took wing. All her icy rage forgotten melted away. The griffin crouched, wings still spread, eyes glowing with the unmatchable fierce heat of a mother guarding her young. The Rabbit Joke by Christine Larson The most unlikely friends, a lizard, a camel and a rabbit, wanted to change their luck and their lives, so they bought a lottery ticket. Against all odds, they won a prize of millions of dollars. The one thing they'd always wanted more than anything was a decent roof over their heads. Now all was possible. They found a magnificent property with some acreage on a gently rounded hill overlooking the sea and glorious sunsets. The lizard was a brilliant designer so with the help of a top architect the plans were soon drawn up for a mansion. Camel's skills lay in the building department and a seemingly never-ending list of tradesmen to call upon. It took a few years, but finally the mansion was complete. The rabbit was the keenest gardener ever. His digging skills were formidable, so the lizard and the camel gave him a cheerful farewell when he went to collect fertilizer to ensure all that was planted would flourish. This took several years. Uh, we're not quite sure why, but finally he was back. He could hardly believe his eyes at the massive gates and long driveway leading to an ornate drive-around fountain in front of the grandest entrance to the largest and most impressive house ever and blessed his mother for having made him always eat his carrots. Otherwise, he would never have believed his own eyes. The front door soared above him and he had to hop up and down many times before he could press the doorbell mid-jump until finally a loud echoing roll of chimes almost knocked him off his paws. In moments the doors opened and a tall and immaculately dressed butler was looking down at him in the most imperious fashion. Yes, he said in a voice that was designed to deter any hopeful hawkers, dastardly debt collectors, divorce paper servers or any religious types too. Is the camel here? The rabbit didn't mean his voice to sound squeaky. It just kind of came out that way. Mr. Camel is down by the well, the butler said, looking down his nose at the rabbit most condescendingly. Oh, and the lizard? Mr. Lizard is down in the yard. And it was clear the butler wanted to close the door again. 
the rabbit was getting more than a little aggro about the uppity tone. Even the fact of there being a butler was a hard pill to swallow. So, adopting the same grand manner, he drew himself up to his fullest possible height that wasn't much higher than the seat of a chair, although his long ears helped, and said, Tell them Mr. Rabbit is back with the manure. Ask Your Doctor by Tom Walborn Is it just me? I don't ever remember a time when we had so many drug ads on television as we have today. Maybe other major markets are not experiencing this, but here in the U.S., whenever you turn on the television, you are inundated with commercials about plaque psoriasis, benign prostate hypothropy, arterial fibrillation, and the list goes on and on. I mean, which of us watching Lester Hold on the 6.30 news jumps up and says, that reminds me, I have to go order my $4,500 Humera pen for next month. Ever notice how slick the delivery is? At the same time we're watching a loving family having a picnic on a beautiful sunny day, the announcer whispers in double time, Do not take this drug if you are allergic to it or cannot pay thousands per month. Death and other nasty side effects are likely, but we cannot be held responsible because we warned you. And they always end it with, Ask your doctor if XYZ is right for you. The scary part is that I think I have most of the symptoms they describe on those TV commercials. So I went to my doctor. I went prepared. For the last week, I've been recording my most worrisome symptoms. For example, I've been getting up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Yesterday, when I came up the stairs, I had to stop and catch my breath. After a couple of times up and down the stairs, my knees ache, and I find myself stopping mid-sentence as I try to think of the word that I want. I told him I was worried that I might have a TV disease. Dr. H. very patiently listened to me, reviewed my charts and my recent blood tests, listened to my chest, and sat back down. Well, I think I know what is going on. What is it, doctor? I said with a tremor in my voice. Do I have BPH, COPD, ADHD, IBS, RA, ALS, DSPS? I rattled off a few more of the ailments that the drug companies commonly use. Doc laid a hand on my knee to calm me down. Or maybe it was just to stop the flow of acronyms. Tom, you have advanced geriatrical essentia. I knew it. My worst fear had been confirmed. What can I expect will happen next? Well, you're just not going to bounce back from things like you did in your 20s. It will take a little longer to catch your breath after the stairs. Your memory is fine. It takes longer to think of a word because you have so many stored there. Your knees ache a bit because you have been using them for 70 years without so much as an oil change. These are all normal conditions that you can expect with AGE. Drink plenty of water, get your eight solid at night, and you'll be fine. I was so relieved to have a diagnosis that I forgot all about a Starbucks latte and went right home. I have age, I told my wife. You big dope, I love you. Thank you for listening to the inaugural episode of the Weekend Write-In Podcast. All five authors have participated since the group's inception in 2014. For more episodes and links to more work by these authors, please visit our website at www.weekendwritein.wordpress.com.
Music for Rage was provided by Alexander Nakarada at serpentsoundstudio.com under Creative Commons license. Music for the rabbit joke provided by Sensory Garden. Laughing at the bar from Free Sound user Andriala under Attribution Non-Commercial License. This episode, the Weekend Write-In website and e-magazine were created by Sovan Drake, host, executive producer and editor, John Nedwell, supervising producer and assistant editor, LML Gill, web design and e-magazine. Does anyone want to go to the pub? 